This podcast is recorded in front of an unwitting audience. This is True Crime Kent. Hello. Hey, True Crime Kent. How uh, how you doing? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good, Op. Christmas went well. Kids got a lot of presents. I got a, I got a sleeve of Skull Wintergreen and a new hunting rifle. Went and got the wife some new camo. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's good. Jeez, this guy goes on and on and on and on. Uh, hey, uh, oh, sorry, I was itching my arm. Um, that's all. Do you want to record an episode? <laughs> you know, I, I heard that. Well, I heard what? My, my it, the itching of my arm. I was just asked if if you wanted to. Uh, yeah, let's knock out an episode. Let's. Yeah. What did you What did you have in mind? Well, we're hitting the backwoods of Wisconsin for this next one up. Although we're going to dabble in the time before 1906 for just a bit, that's the year that a creature would shimmy out of his obnoxiously religious mother's life hole and begin growing into the socially awkward grave-robbing murderer that he would eventually become. Wow, 1906, huh? Lou Costello? We're talking about the comedian Lou Costello today? What? Was Lou Costello at any point ever a, a grave robber or a murderer? I don't know much about his personal life, but he sure was funny. What a comedian. I'm excited for this one. He inspired many modern-day comedians like... We're not talking about Lou Costello up. What makes you think... You know, don't worry about it. Let's move on. We're doing some grave robbing of our own today. Grab a shovel. We're hitting up Plainfield Cemetery in Wasara County, Wisconsin. You won't find a headstone on the grave of the man we're looking for, but instead an open plot between his mother and his brother. Don't forget a pry bar, because today we're ripping the lid off the coffin of Edward Theodore Gein. Recording has initiated. Op, I figured we'd kick this off with a personal story. For both of us, hopefully, uh, have you ever known a socially awkward person that you were certain would turn out to be a serial killer? No. Okay. So, I guess... I'll just move on with my part then. Yeah, I'm interested to interested to hear about your okay. friend that might be a serial killer. Sure. All right, good stuff, up. Good stuff. So, whenever I was really threw me off threw me off kilt there. So, whenever I was I don't even know where I'm at right now. I don't even know what's <laughs> going on. Whenever I was younger, I would say probably I don't know. Uh, actually, I went to school I lived in a town called Berea, Kentucky, and I know we have some. We actually have some listeners from there. From between third and fifth grade, that's where I went to school. And at one point, I would say it was probably in about the fourth grade. We lived in this brown trailer on a on a road called Mason Lake Road. Now, hey, can I stop you for one second? I just wanted to appreciate this moment and compliment you. I did not know okay. that. I did not know that. But I am very impressed. I, I read the scripts you write, the research you've done. You've been a military hero. All that on the fifth grade of the education? I, oh, man. You, I, you just did, pumped up. What makes you think I only have a fifth grade education? 
You said that your years of school were third through fifth grade. No, that's when I went to school in Berea Op. Not that's before at, at, at fifth grade. After fifth grade, I moved to Rockcastle County and continued my education. I didn't drop out at fifth grade. My mother and and my parents would never allow that. Oh, okay. So you're in, you, you, the the level of education and knowledge and everything I'm seeing here in these scripts then is a full fledged like graduate stu- graduate of. Yeah, of I even high- did some college. Really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, and sorry. I did well I thought, in college too, despite I how thought I sound. No. Okay. Yeah, I thought I was looking in kind of a savant, fifth grade savant, but all right. I'm going to have to look at this through a different lens now. But uh, please, please continue. I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Well, we lived in this. We lived in this kind of like it was like a trailer park almost. That we we lived in this trailer on top of a hill. Across the road was a pay lake where where probably pedophiles would go to catch catfish. It was really kind of a ghetto little road, a lot of, lot of white trash kids, and, and we were just living our best life. Now, I know that I said we lived in a shitty brown trailer. It may not have been all to look at from the outside, but mom kept it spotless on the inside. You could have ate off the floors in that place. So so we may have looked out white trash on the outside, but but mom made sure that we had a, a nice, good, clean place to live. So and if I you've got to eat off the floors, look. I kind of put eating off the floors. We didn't in have to eat off the floors. Uh, off, we oh. had dishes and silverware and sure. plates. Okay. My mom always took very good care of the inside of the house, and and she has a very nice place. Actually, we got a nice place to live when I was sixth grade. When I was in the sixth grade, I don't know why I'm getting so defensive right now. I just feel like I, you, you. I just maybe I'm not tracking like every. Yeah, I feel like you just keep taking hard rights and saying that you graduated fifth grade and you eat out the floors, and then I say something and you're like, "Rah!" I'm like, "Ah." Um, okay, so I'm sorry. I'm so- look. Nah, here's the nah, point. It's probably me. We lived in a kind of trailer parkish. I think that because a lot of our listeners may be from the city, and because I'm from the south, I think that maybe I'm trying to simultaneously tell the truth and clear up a lot of stereotypes that they may be subconsciously applying to me right now. Sure. We did like live in a trailer. Still it was kind floors. of in a trailer park, but we did keep it very clean. We had nice furniture and we right. didn't even have any any meth in the house, not once. My wow. stepdad is, was actually a cop. So, wow. So I guess that's what this is this this like uncalled for rage is about maybe. I see. And very clean floors. So everybody there in Sorry the to throw NYC that on you off. I didn't mean city. to do that. No, yeah, just want I'm on I'm on your page. I'm on your page. When I hear okay. the Kentucky accent, I If somebody said I'm from Kentucky and I eat off the floor, I w- I wouldn't but I think it's just cuz I accept everyone. I would be like I accept that. I accept that. So on this road, you know, it was just like just like uh, it was like the little rascals. There was just a bunch of kids that grew up on this road. We were all white trash kids. I remember there was this kid named Anthony who who always wanted to go. I think he was a sadist a little bit because he always wanted to go to his house when his parents weren't home and go down to his basement and just beat the shit out of each other. And I'm not talking about you want to wrestle like Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm talking legit like cage fighting, like bleeding. He wanted to be hurt and he liked to hurt me and it was looking back it was really weird this is a friend your friend yeah this was one of my friends anthony he was a lot of fun as long as other people were around 
That's a... We should probably review at some point the definition of friend, but for now, okay. Anthony. Yeah, he just liked to he liked to be hurt. He liked it when I hit him and he liked to hit me and I mean I was just kinda kinda kid. I just go with the flow, you know, so like, yeah, we'll go down to your basement and hurt each other. That's what you want to do. That's that's you know. And then there was at the end of the road we had a kid another kid, I'm not gonna say his name because he ended up dying whenever we became well, I moved away, but I, I, I did hear earlier that early in his 20s he ended up dying of an overdose. But he was uh, he was another one of my friends. We'll call him – I'll call him John. And he got it in tr- he got in trouble. He got us in a bunch of trouble for shooting electrical linemen that, that, that get up in the buckets and work on the electric, electricity, the boxes, for shooting them with paintballs. So um, oh. that was – Because their job isn't hard enough already. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and they don't like that. I don't know if you've ever done that before. Oh, linemen hate it when you shoot them with a paintball gun. I would guess. And you know, we were probably I don't know nine, ten years old, eight, nine, ten years old. I didn't uh, know if you know, that, that was, but I know they've got a funny name, linemen. They're actually humans. You know that, right? You know they're not like these special weird robot people. That those are actual humans. Uh, I'm aware, yes. Okay, but I mean, right. I didn't shoot them with the paintball gun. I was just guilty by association. I was just there, you know. Okay, I was you probably were there the voice in the of back. I was yeah, probably back, uh, like, nurturing my wounds basement? from Anthony. <laughs> right? Sure. Yeah. I can. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Check. So, so, and and that was most of our crew. But and then there was one other person of the crew, aside from my brother. My brother Kyle was part of the crew, but we had another one, and his name was Andy. Now, Andy was a real fucking train wreck. He was one of those kids that always had snot and shit on his face. Like, you, you, you ever see those kids, like, you're like, what is even on your face? And yeah. they just, it just looks like it, it's always, like, swapped to the side, like they, like they blew their nose as hard as they could onto their upper lip and then just rubbed dirt in it and then stood in front of a, a fan for, like, ten <laughs> minutes with their face to the side so that it could blow off to the side. Yes. And he always had Anthony always or not Andy Anthony Andy always had that shit just smeared all over his face and spaghetti or spaghettios or whatever, and most of the time he didn't have a shirt or shoes on and he wore these like cut off blue jean shorts like Daisy Dukes almost, and that was Andy. Wow. Now Andy, believe it or not, the two kids that I that I mentioned before this aren't even the probably future serial killer that I'm speaking out. The future serial killer, which is now the future is. Now, he's probably serial killing right now, is Andy. Now, Andy was the stunt devil of our little clique, and uh, we just fucked with Andy all the time because we don't think he had a mom or dad. I, I mean, I'm sure he I'm sure he did, Yeah, but he maybe. lived in one of the trailers besi- beside us, and I never saw them, not once. Yeah, I he probably never wasn't saw them. Like, I never heard them. He probably wasn't birthed from like a dirt egg in between a, two of the trailers or something, you know. Probably he looked like he was if you'd seen the shit all over his face. But <laughs> well, you never know what he, the inside uh, of his trailer looked like. Maybe maybe it was so clean you could eat dead off the floor, poop off the floor. Well, you know, like he had one of them trailers where the the front door was always hanging open and just blowing in the wind, <laughs> and there wasn't a screen door, so stray cats or whatever could just stumble in. And the grass was always six feet tall. You could literally bail it and feed it to cows. And like, 
It was just, and he always talked about his mom and dad, but we never saw him. And I'm, and just by looking at him, I know that if they did exist, they had to hit him a lot. So, <laughs> just to rewind a second, this is you're 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 talking about your you're you're talking about your crew. This is your your crew, right? This was this my crew. Is like, this was this my is crew. the assemblage of bodies that you've put together as close to the right stuff as as you can get in your Well, when you're a kid, you don't assemble your crew up. Your crew is just vicinity. Like whoever is <laughs> right. You, you, <laughs> that's your crew. Point. That's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how childhood works. Was, just, yeah. Yeah. My crew was a, a a swarthy sailor who I think was uh paralyzed, half paralyzed and the penguin. So Andy had this he had to, I don't know where he got it. It probably he just probably found it in his living room one day, but he had a kitten. And I, I don't want to I don't want to like run two episodes back to back that involve the death of an animal, but that's what's about to happen. He got this kitten and I've got I very an idea. distinctly remember I'm sorry, okay. I've got an idea. Let you know what to offset the grief of it being a a, a, a baby animal. Let's we're, you know, let's do this. Let's let's pull a bread Bundy. Let's replace the name of kitten with something else. I've got an idea. He had a okay. wizard. He had a wizard. He had a wizard. Yeah. Okay. And before Wizards. we even get to the wizard, let me. I said I said that Andy was our stunt devil, right? I don't yes. think he ever did any of this voluntarily. I think he just really wanted to fit in. And by stunt devil, I mean one of the things we would do to Andy all the time, aside from just making him eat weird stuff all the time. Probably because he probably did it that willingly because he was malnourished and wasn't getting to eat at home. We had one of those. Do you remember those yellow and red little tox cars that had the? Oh yeah, uh, the little bubble car. <laughs> yeah, the bubble car. It had a with yellow the roof on it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. With the black wheels that like always. <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> so we pulled one of those out of a ditch on our street one time. We don't know whose it was, and there was this big driveway that went through the trailer park this big blacktop driveway and at the end of it was just a ditch it would turn at the end and it was a ditch so what our favorite pastime was to put andy in the little tox car and just push him over the hill and he would get fucking broke busted noses and busted lips and he would fly out sometimes sometimes like six feet in the air and just end over end i don't know how he did he isn't a, a quadriplegic today and this is right in front of his trailer where his mom and dad had to have been passed out from meth or, or heroin or whatever. Dead. Right. <laughs> well, so, so Andy, it sounds like, was sort of like an evil Knievel, but the trailer park was so, so more like bull weevil Knievel. Yes. Okay. Yeah, like, like, and he had to have been. There's no way this kid – there's no way this kid wasn't a preemie. So it <laughs> – Garbage pail kid, kind of a preemie version. <laughs> okay. Poor Andy. Uh, so he got this, as we said, the wizard, his little cute wizard. Meow. Yeah, yeah wizard. And I loved this kitten, man. I loved I loved animals. I still love animals. But I loved kittens, and I would always, like, hold this kitten. And Andy didn't like, really give a shit about it. Wizard. And, yeah, one day, well, one day it was cold outside, I remember, and it had been raining all night. And I come outside and was like, I'm going to try to find the crew because this is before cell phones. So you had to go knock on doors and shit, right? Like, right. That's how you, that's the only way you knew if somebody was home. So yeah. 
physically make it's a cold connection. outside it's cold outside i'll run over the hill to andy's trailer and i'm beating on the door nobody answers but as i'm standing on the porch i hear meow 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 and i'm like oh the kitten they left the kitten outside oh the wizard is outside and i like the, oh yeah they left a wizard outside what what is the wizard wizards don't belong outside they belong in castles. And I, I jump off the porch, and it, I say, I use the word porch very loosely. Because um, <laughs> the porch was loosely porch-like. It was really just a stack of wood. That's really all it was. <laughs> but I jump off the porch, and I get on my belly, and I look underneath the porch, and it's freezing cold outside and wet, and this wizard... Is laying on his side, soaking wet, and I could tell he's dying. Even at my young, dumb age, like however old I was, nine, eight, nine, ten years old, I could tell, like, oh, this kid, our wizard, is is very close to being dead because it was That's very weak, do, feebly. Too. Yeah, because wizards have like nine, so I like ten lives. Yeah, Hard yeah, and do. he's at eight and three quarters. <laughs> okay. So I, like, scoop him up, and I, I start crying because I already know, like, oh, God. And I remember they had a, a, a cinder block that was sitting there beside the truck. Well, of course they did. Right. <laughs> just, just a random <laughs> part of the furniture, <laughs> I believe, right? There was a chair. Yeah. <laughs> cinder But chair. I sat down on a cinder block, and I was holding this kitten and trying to get it warm, and I was rubbing its belly, and I was like, oh, you can't die on me, wizard. Wizard. And uh, you have so much magic left in you. And it dies. It dies oh. in my arms. So I take it. I'm, I start crying. I take it to my mom. Oh, the kid, the wizard died in my hands, and she's like, "Where did you find a wizard?" And I was like, "No, I'm talking about the kitten." <laughs> and uh, we got rid of it. I don't remember what we did. I think we buried it in the woods or something. I kind of for, tried to forget about it, right? So it starts snowing, and we're out playing, and, and uh, on top of this hill, we're sledding, and Andy comes trotting up, and I was like, "Hey, Andy." Uh, Shit, man, bad news. Like, your wizard died. And he's like, snot, run up, like, oh, yeah, I know. And I was immediately like, hold up, you don't know. Because it was still alive when I found it. And, I, and we haven't told nobody. <laughs> How do you know the kitten's dead? Like, I remember thinking that at this age, you know. And then before I could get that out, he goes... Well, boys, I reckon I better head to the house. I pooped my pants. <laughs> and we were like, okay. And that was how Andy handled that. He just pooped and then told us he had to go change his pants. <laughs> and I'm 99% sure, certain that Andy today is an active serial killer. There are some frighteningly similar uh coincidences with Andy and a, f and a friend of mine named Glenn. When I was young, he would have to come over to our house and my mom would have to babysit him. And he had, what's a good way to put it? Creepy eyes? Like, yeah. like uh, you know that, you know when the Grinch smiles and his mouth curls all up and his eyes go all like almond shaped and creepy? You know? Yeah. His eyes always looked like that. Um, he had really long eyelashes and just creepy bowl cut haircut. And he would come over 
and he would play with me and then if I like disagreed with him he would look me in the eyes and his face would get red and he would shake and he would just keep staring at me <laughs> and he would just load his pants like he was gonna pop full of poop and my mom got what, are so you being serious right now he would just shit himself yes my mom got so tired of of the the poop quantity that I hate to say this, but my mother would walk him out to the side of the house and she would spray him off with the hose. She would she wouldn't even let him clean up in the house. She she would just shuck him down to his nothings and spray that kid till he was clean with the hose. Also he grew like twice as fast as me. One time we were in the backyard of the barbecue. It was nighttime, and he kept he kept trying to push me into a rose bush, and it hurt. And I said, "Stop that!" And he's like, "Let's play a game. I want to swing you by the ankles." So he, I laid down, and he's twice my size. Grabs me by the ankles and starts swinging me around, woo 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 woo, and then he lets me go into the rose bush. And all I remember is him coming over and in my face going, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. And then I've passed out on my mom's chest as she sat there talking. You know, did you ever have that happen when you were like a kid and you like got hurt or something? So you're sitting on your mom and you can hear her talk through her chest like, wah, wah, wah. And that just like lulls you into a sleep. I did that. That's how I ended that night. My mom is usually talking to Anthony. (laughs) 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 Tomato, potato, right? Anyway, I just thought it was weird. I like I was like, your animal's dead. He's like, oh, well, ain't that something? Well, boy's reckon I better head to the house. I pooped myself. (laughs) Maybe we both do know serial killers. Now that I think about uh, I it. figured you would have brought up the uh, the young man that you mentioned on what, uh, what was the episode where the guy held you down and made you eat butter. That I think it was the Ken Rex McElroy, right? I think what happens in that is when you ask me questions that are very that aim me toward that experience, my brain recounts all the people that probably are serial killers today. But what comes out is no. Well, I mean, at least this. That, that's added. That's taken some length off of this episode. Yes, that, that, you just not having an answer, even though you know you knew what we were going to be talking about two weeks in advance. It's, I struggled with that. No. I was like, I do believe, I don't know anyone, and every time my brain would try to think of that person, I would end up in the neighbor's field, just staring at the sky. I don't know how I got there. My bum hurts. You know what they say is is if uh, what you you saying that made me realize they say that you know if you look around your group of friends when you were growing up and you don't think well, wow one of these guys is probably going to be a serial killer and you, and you don't see the serial killer <laughs> you're probably the serial killer <laughs> could could be yeah I think you and I were a lot alike though it's sort of like sure I'll go in the basement what's your name again Mister uh, Wham you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a big shiny anvil you have there, sir. All right, Op. So today we're going to be talking about Ed Gein, who is probably one of the most famous not serial killers um, in 
in the history of, of true crime. And with Ed, the, the word serial killer gets thrown around a little loosely. He only, that we know of, killed two people. According to a quick Google search, the, the requirement is three or more. So Ed Gein, not really a serial killer, just a, a run-of-the-mill murder that liked stealing bodies and 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 parts out of graveyards. Hmm. Yeah, like a mechanic and a junkyard. Now, before we get to Ed's birth, let's let's go into a little bit of his family's backstory here. Now, his father's name was George Philip Gein. He was born August fourth, eighteen seventy three. He had a he. They were poor, but but that was kind of the norm in the late eighteen hundreds in, in America, right? But unfortunately, in the in in the in the mid eighteen eighties, his his family he, he was left at home, and his family went to this went to the market. They were going to just make a trip to the market, and somehow all of his family got swept away in a river and died like a bunch of fucking goobers. It sounds um, like they, they just, didn't go to the market. It sounds like they went to the river. They they had to cross a river. I don't know if they had to. Uh, that is a weird place to put a market. Do not put a market on a river. Not the market. Uh, the market wasn't on the river. They had to cross a river to get to the market, and the river prevented them. The river had other plans. It's terrible logistics for a market, any way you look at it. Just <clears throat> imagine the number of dead people. Hey, I thought Bill was coming to the market today. Yeah, he died because you put the effing market on the other side of a river. I so this would have put him about probably about 12, 13 years old that his whole family died. He, 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 grew, he grows up alone, drops out of school, and then bounces from job to job. And becomes an alcoholic at a, at a very young age, which he would remain until his dying day. Now, in his mid-twenties, on December 11th, 1900, he marries Augusta Wilhelmine Lark. Now, Augusta was born July 21st, 1878, and was brought up in a very strict religious family who had immigrated from Germany and settled in La Crosse, Wisconsin, where uh, all this begins to go down. I got a question for you. Is Augusta, is, uh-huh. that, is that similar to Augusta, do you think? Augusta? What was I saying? Well, you said Augusta. I was just wondering if it's similar to Augusta. Augusta, Augusta, Augusta. Yes, Augusta. And then also, Augusta is Wilhelmine. Is that similar to Wilhelmina? Is that how that's pronounced? I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I might be wrong. Maybe Wilhelmine is also. Now I've heard in documentaries they pronounced it Wilhelmine. Yeah, could be Wilhelm Helmine. Um, I've heard Wilhelmina. Probably, oh, on a scale of one to ten, probably ten out of ten times. <laughs> so, one hundred percent of the times it's been pronounced. I, I, I got it. I go off Message of one received. to ten scale. Okay. But yeah, I guess you could also go to a hundred. Sure. Okay. Okay. Wilhelmine. Wilhelmina. Or whatever. Now Augusta was. Augusta was brought up in a very, very, a very strict Lutheran household, and she would remain obnoxiously Lutheran until her dying day as well. So much like, much like uh, George, Ed's dad, she was devoted to her, to her vices. Mm, okay. Now Henry, Ed's older brother, he was the firstborn. They were born. He was born January seventeenth, nineteen o one. Now, unfortunately for George. Augusta, Augusta only submitted to George twice in the entirety of their marriage. She only opened those thighs twice. And imagine having sex. With, and it was because of her religiousness. She thought that sex was only, only for reproduction. 
It served no other purpose. And I can imagine the, the strict rules that a woman like that would bring to the bedroom with, with, with a, a mindset like that. She was overbearingly religious. She's like, lots off, no eye contact, no noise, missionary only, socks, shirts, shoes are required. They must remain on. Wow. George is to make no facial expressions while orgasming, and he better not get too hard. There's a sweet spot there. If you get too hard, this becomes too erotic. She's gonna probably she's gonna she's gonna tap out. No nope. clam up. You need yeah. <laughs> she's already disgusted that they're having to do this, but the penis is only allowed to get a certain amount of blood flow to it. And they're only there to make children. They are to pray extensively, both before and after sex. And they probably listen to something. She probably puts on on the old record player while they're doing it, like I don't, Lord's Army. <laughs> I yeah. may never march in the infantry, shoot the artillery, fly over cattle, and I may never ride into something, something. I'm in the so Lord's guilty. Army. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the way it goes. That's. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine how that would be? Augusta being that way, I I can't imagine having a first marriage that I had that was eerily similar. I can't imagine that she was she was the driest woman in the county. <laughs> Augusta was. <laughs> that's that's enough. Ed was born August twenty seventh, nineteen oh six, in La Crosse, uh, and Augusta had prayed beforehand for a girl. She wanted one so bad. She wanted. She prayed and prayed and prayed for a girl, and then Ed came sideways into this world, and God told her to go fuck herself. So <laughs> I didn't now, know that's how he as, puts it. When, okay, Ed and, Ed and Henry start. They start growing up, and George is still a drunk and very shitty father. Um, but mm. but it kind of seems as if Augusta from the get go ha- has 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 ran the nest. George is more of a pushover, kind of quiet, bumbling, kind of just oh, whatever you know. Just like I think George wants to die f- from the get go. George is just drinking beers and waiting to die. That's that. That's the vibe that I get. I could see, you know. Does that also it, sound like your first marriage? Root beers, waiting to die. I don't want to say the word catfish comes into mind, but yeah, I would feel I would feel that George probably felt very catfished. You know, getting across the altar and the aisle or the threshold or wherever it happens. And then, yeah, then you go, you know, several years without any intimate contact. And you're like, what's going on? And the other person's like. Now, I wouldn't say George was catfish because Augusta was up front from the get go on on how she was. She's Mm. she didn't do a do a 180 on him anything like it was. Hey, I'm Lutheran and my vagina stays dry. And I have a I have a deep disgust of erections, and I just hate everything and everybody but God. What's weird and, is you would think that she would look around one day, like look around town and be like, how did everybody get here? What process brought them all here? You know, it dawned on her, oh, maybe this is more common than I think. So like I said, Augusta was extremely religious, but from a very early age, she starts just like pounding it into these boys' brains, into Ed and Henry's brain, that sex was disgusting, child-making only. Augusta also hated women. 
She hated them with a passion, and she tried to just hammer into their cerebral cortex, their frontal lobe, whatever she could get her fingers in. That every single woman that was walking the face of the earth was just the face of the earth was just a, a, a stark ra- raving whore. Every single one of them. That was wow. That was she very deeply believed that, which is. She is the most non-feminist woman probably that has ever, maybe ever, walked the face of the earth. I wonder what she thought of her own mother, you know, because that's how I have thought that as well. And Augusta ran shit. She ran the household. Her and George were very abusive towards each other. She was verbally abusive to to George. When George would get drunk, George would slap her around a little bit, and then she would hit her knees and pray for George's death right in front of the children. So they had a pretty average Tennessee childhood, even though this is Wisconsin's. Sounds like everybody in this this whole thing is ready to just go F themselves. Yeah. Now, in 1909, August talks our brothers, who were very, uh, very successful into letting George take over one of their, their chains of, of grocery stores. But by 1911, Augusta wasn't happy with how he was doing things. Takes over and just makes George the clerk. Oh. And he was just kind of he would stumble around there and and just stock the shelves and and just continue to let this woman just pummel him, just pummel him in every way except for probably way. with her vagina. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So by 1914, Augusta decides she wants to get her her children away from the from the sin and devilish ways of a huge town like La Crosse, Wisconsin. In 1914, they buy a 195 acre dairy farm in Plainfield, and it's it's pretty secluded, six miles from Plainfield town and a quarter mile from the nearest neighbor, who were the Johnsons. And the land was actually put in Augusta's name, not in George's, which was very uncommon for the time. It seems like a now very land standard, sucked. it seems very uncreative. The uh, name of the town was Plainfield, and their neighbors were the Johnsons. Yes. Yes. Yes, this all sounds like... So creative. Johnson, the Johnsons, and, and Miss Johnson, her, her, her maiden name was Doe. Now, this farm that they bought, the land sucked. They couldn't grow <laughs> shit on it, which they didn't know beforehand. So, time was, times were pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, it was just this barren farm that they couldn't do anything with. The, the house, while fairly large, had no electricity or plumbing. And this is where Ed and Henry would both, well, well, where Henry would live out his remaining years, where Augusta would live out her remaining years, where George would live out his remaining years, and where Ed would have happily lived out his remaining years. Mm. So uh, it's also around this time, uh, Augusta was very adamant about Ed not coming into the shed while while George and her slaughtered the hogs, cleaned the hogs, hung the hogs. And at, at one, or one, one day, George, or not George, Ed, is kind of sneaking and sliming his way back. And he does get a peek, and he sees his mom standing there with her overbearing religious vibes, covered in hog blood, holding a butcher knife. And some people think that at that moment, it was, a, it was an impressionable time for him. And and this is when he became so confused. Maybe he got a uh, just a raging erection. And at that point, at that point, like all of it became just kind of infused. The idea of death and and everything just it became infused with sexuality. Now I could kind of relate to this a little bit. I remember the I remember get. I'm not going to say where I found them, but I found a. Whenever I was probably about this age, when he had the hog experience, I, I came across a box of old Playboys, but they were from like the late 70s, mm. early 80s. So all the women had these massive, massive afros uh-huh. and not on their head. Yep. And so I had a, like a fetish. I had like a fetish 
for a long time. And I think it was because where I was so young, I was like, this is the way that women are supposed to look naked. So I had mm. like – I went, fetish is the wrong word to use. It wasn't something that I – I wasn't searching for that in porn sites. But if there Proclivity. was – There was a little downstairs. If there was, if there was some foliage – if there mm-hmm. was some foliage going on for a long time, and even now I don't mind it, but if there's some foliage, I'm still kind of down with that. And I think that's because the first Playboys that I found were from like the late 70s, early 80s. So I kind of so, understand this. So you're, you're, what you're saying is Kent ain't interested in heavy petting unless the heavy petting has some chia petting going on. Now, now as as I became as I became sexually active, you know that wasn't the style for for whenever I was a teenager. So I guess it kind of went away a little bit, but it's always there in the back of my head. So yeah, I understand this this kind of fusing of confusion and and how your your I guess sexual preferences kind of develop. Right now, why mm-hmm. that would happen right there at that moment. He would get an erection, and then suddenly this image of his mom covered in blood slaughtering a pig is becomes part of his psyche, and, ha- and he suddenly starts relating these two things to sex. It's very confusing to me. I don't understand that. But but on a small level, I can kind of relate. I think, yeah, I, could, I, get, I get that. When I was uh, maybe six or seven, I oversaw my or, – or I stumbled upon my parents drinking – very heavy craft root beer and um and i'm i don't know i guess it's stuck i i to this day i i imbibe on the root beer because of that day i believe that and every time you take a drink just lot-headed from how from the blood rush that goes to your pelvis (laughs) yeah there were also a bunch of playboys on the ground but i just really remember the root beer mostly now, in the fall of 1914, Ed begins attending grade school. And Augusta starts hounding she does not want them making friends. All these kids are the devil. She's basically Mama from Waterboy, the Adam Sandler flick. That is mm. what Augusta Gein is. She's a, a real-life, much more horrible version of Mama from Waterboy. All the boys are the devil. Anybody but Mama is the devil. You don't need no friends. You've got Mama. So sort of a, a blend between the mama off of Waterboy and Kathy Bates off of also one where she broke his legs. Misery off of Misery. misery. So if Kathy yeah. Bates yeah. could cross-pollinate her acting from mama t- from Waterboy to Misery, that's what you get. What was her favorite saying in that? Dirty bird? Dirty, bur- dirty bird? Is that what she says? She calls people that, that aren't holy dirty bird. I believe that's that was that was uh, Kathy Bates. What was – oh, that's going to bother see. me now. Hold on, what was I'll that check. character's name? Misery was the name of the book that Paul was writing and the name of the woman that held him hostage. Dirty bird. Yep, dirty bird. Dirty bird. Okay. But what was her name? She, ang- she expresses her anger with childishly strange words and phrases like cook. Cockadoodle, Mr. Man, Dirty Bird, Dirty Birdie, Oogie. Yeah, but what was the character's name? That's what's bothering me. Oh, crap. Maggie? Is that right? No, Maggie. No, it's not Maggie. Her, na- her name. An- Annie. Yes. Anne Marie Wilkes. Annie. 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 Okay, Annie Wilkes. Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. So now that we got that very that out of the way, 
I could like continue with a clear mind because that would have bothered me the rest of this recording. Now the boys yes. always had chores. Uh, they she she never gave them a chance to have a social life of any kind. They're always working. If they're not at school, they're working. Now Ed was known as an average student. He loved reading. He excelled in reading, but he he always kind of laughed out loud randomly without anybody saying anything. And he always like like he just says a joke in his head and is like. <laughs> Okay, Ed's just doing that thing again. And he always had this kind of cocked sideways smile, this grin, kind of like he he was a stroke survivor and (laughs) only one side of us. So he's just kind of walking. Now, he also had this this growth on his eye, on one of his eyelids, that made his eye kind of droopy a little bit, this kind of little flat growth. Mm. And because of that, the bullies would call him saggy baggy eye. So that's actually really kind of lame. The bullies in the 40s really weren't on par i feel like with the bullies whenever i was growing up because the bullies when i was growing up just called you the n-word a lot mm, so yeah <laughs> yeah that's not saggy good. baggy eye what a Old what a lame baggy guy yeah i got so ed's walking around and he's he loves reading he's laughing to himself he's got a sideways smile he's got a weird growth on his eye and he stopped school at eighth grade when he's 16 years old, and, and that's kind of it for his formal education. Now, even at this age, 16 years old, August is, Augusta is still reading to them at night from the Bible, especially Revelation. She loves Revelations and uh, and makes, makes them continue every night to promise that they will never have sex and they will refrain from the temptations of the floozies and skeezers that, that roam the streets of Plainfield, Wisconsin. Which is everyone, according to... Which is everybody that isn't her. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Now, on April 1st, 1940, George, uh, Ed's dad, dies of a heart attack at 66 years old. Ed's 33 years old at the time, and Henry's 38. So his health had been uh, waning the last few years, and there towards the end, Ed and Henry were pretty much taking care of him full time. His alcoholism pretty much uh, ran him into the ground. So it's just Augusta and the boys now in this big, desolate farmhouse on a on a wasteland of a farm and she's got the boys all to herself that being said henry often disagreed with ed about who they called mother henry was more of an independent he kind of wanted to go out he was what you would call the wild child and in this case wild child just means somebody that would prefer to have sex before they're 50 years old Mm, wild child because he like wanted to go to the library or walk down a street and say hello to someone I get it. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And not yell their their religious beliefs in their face 24-7. Just, yes. You know, he, he wants to have Real a family. And yeah. Totally. Raise children. Right. Maybe eat a slice of pie and watch the big game on the TV occasionally. And, you know, maybe have a beer while talking to the neighbor about what's the best lawnmower. It's, it's out of control. Out of control. So because of this... Henry and Ed were, were, were always at disagreement. Henry also kind of thinks that Ed's relationship with his mother is uh, it's kind of weird. Mm. A little weird. Mm. Now, they were both at this time uh, working as handymen, doing odd jobs. Although they, Ed also did odd jobs with Henry, he was also a... Try to guess what I'm about to say. Uh, Seamstress? Seamstress? That's close. Babysitter. Oh, he was a babysitter. No. People would hire this guy to watch their children. Now, keep in mind, even if you don't know what's going on at home, 
He's got a he's got this saggy weird eye, and he just kind of <laughs> just kind of laughs to himself like Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons, randomly when nobody said anything. He's quiet. He kind of mumbles. His his chin stays to his chest. <laughs> what also this is who they hire to watch their children. What's also interesting is I've gone 45 years using, using the phrase odd jobs, and it's not until you said Ed Gein did odd jobs that it came into my mind that any job that Ed probably did garnered a response by the person that hired him to do it, probably something like this. Well, that's odd. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Anything Ed did was an odd job. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hope it didn't bleed over into the babysitting, because I don't even know. Oh. Now, in 1942, Ed is actually called in. He's drafted for World War II. That's uh, He's 36 years old. 36 years old at the time, on top of that. Now, I'm 34. I can't imagine having to go through boot camp right now at 34 years old. 36? Uh, <laughs> anyways, what was the cutoff? What was the cutoff age? <laughs> I believe it was it was fifty. Or if you there's were some alive. dude named like we're gonna go back to the last episode. There's some old man ninety three. Lonnie gets a draft note. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Lonnie, you've got to be in Milwaukee for the physical. You're going to war. Oh, <laughs> poopy. Clean it up. You got to go to Milwaukee. Uh, Andy. Uh, <laughs> Andy, put so, the cat down. <laughs> Put the wizard down. Papa Andy. Ah, poopy. Uh, Ed's 36. He goes to Milwaukee, which is 130 miles away. It's the furthest he had ever been from home. And uh, he has to go there for his physical, but he gets denied because of the growth on his eyelid and not because he was a fucking fruitcake. That's odd. Like you said, he probably just walked in and went, well, this fella's odd. Uh, say something about the eye and tell him to go the hell home. <laughs> Well, it was sort of the eye at first, and then it was the fact that he recited revelations while we did his testicular exam. He called us all the devil and then started urinating in the floor. (laughs) Now, it's around this time Henry gets into a relationship with a woman that was divorced and had kids, and he planned on moving out and uh, in with her, which didn't go over well. Now, Augusta wasn't aware of this. But we think Ed may have been made privy to the situation. And on May 16th, 1944, after burning some brush on their farm, a fire breaks out. And in the in the chaos, in the panic of trying to put it out, Ed loses sight of Henry. Finally gets the fire out, and it's dark by this time, and, and goes and contacts the police. A search party is sent out. Now, Ed leads Deputy Sheriff Frank Engel right to Henry's body. So he's like, I don't know where he is. Let's go look over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Now, when when uh, questioned on this, like Ed, you know, you kind of kind of said you needed us, and then you you just said maybe we should go look over here, and you'd let us right to him. And Ed's response was, "Quote, funny how that happens." Unquote. So uh, uh, that's a little shady, little yeah. suspicious. The, the coroner rules that uh, that Henry has died from asphyxiation. That's determined to be the cause of death, and police dismiss foul play. Despite the fact that Henry was face down in burned grass with no burns, and he had bruising on his head. Really? Wait, hang on. So yes. they feel he... Oh, wait. 
Okay, so, oh, that's a difference of a bird of a color of a horse, wherever that phrase is. Okay, so he's not even burned, but he's found I think in you a burned it. I think field. that was the phrase. What's that? I think that was the phrase. You nailed it. Yeah, yeah I think I got it's it. It's a bird of a horse, bird of a different colored horse. Is oh. that what you said? Yeah, horse of a, yeah, bird on the horse's wire. Yeah, that one. Now, it's just Ed and Augusta now. Henry's gone, George is gone, and Ed's got Augusta right where he wants her. Now, it's after now Augusta takes Henry's death really hard. She she takes it really hard and her health starts failing like relatively quickly after Henry dies. She starts having strokes left and right and ends Ed spends all of his time taking care of her. Now in mid-1945, a few months after after Henry's death, Augusta goes with Ed to buy straw at uh, Mr. Smith's home, a neighbor down the road. <sighs> when they pull Smith, up, really? Mr. Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith. Just yeah, a whole is, town yeah. of really creative the names. Plainest here. names. Plainest names. <laughs> but when they What's pull up, he's beating a puppy to death with a stick. Oh, Mr. Smith is, right? <laughs> now, Augusta, a or a puppy? Uh, hold on. <laughs> I was, he's beating a wizard to death that has no. hair and is only about nine inches tall and is walking on four legs with a tail oh, and has canines. Goodness. That's terrible. <laughs> Poor wizard. Yeah. Mr. Smith is beating a puppy to death with a stick. Augusta surveys this. Ed surveys this. And they're like, oh, well, that's odd. But at this time, a woman runs out onto the porch of Mr. Smith's home and yells at him to stop beating the puppy. They have company. <laughs> and when August Now, he's beating a puppy to death. He's beating it to death. Augusta believe- does a quick survey... I believe my mother once said that to my brother through the bathroom door when my grandparents showed up. Stop beating that puppy to death? <laughs> We've got company. I, I bet so many people have yelled that at Andy between the last time I saw him and now. <laughs> now, now, the, now this dog is it's being beaten with a stick to death. Not to unconsciousness, to there is no longer life left, right? Augusta stops in her tracks. She sees the puppies being de- beat to death. She looks up at the woman on the porch and then remembers something up. What do you think she remembers? She remembers, I'm guessing, something in Revelations. <laughs> Close. She remembers that Mr. Smith doesn't have a wife. Oh. Oh. So this is a woman that is staying in his house out of wedlock. No. And out of the two things that are happening here... This is absolutely horrifying that this woman is at his house. <laughs> wow, her filter so, is really weird. So for the next, for, for weeks, she's ranting and raving about Smith's harlot. That's what she called the woman, Smith's harlot. Ranting and raving. She, it just really wound her up. She forgot about the puppy the second that woman walked out on that porch. Wow. Now, it's, 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 we're going to take a side road here, and this is where I want to say something. Annoying Christians... Create really fucking annoying atheists. They sure, yeah. Yeah. And this is what I mean by that. Overbearing, irritating Christians are the reason that pretentious, overbearing, annoying atheists exist. I agree. A hundred percent. I'll tell you what. Christians, atheists, anyone who is trying to garner, recruit, convince others to their cause or their beliefs 
the thing that a lot of Christians don't understand is it's a sales job. It's not. <laughs> you can't beat it into people's heads. It's a sales job. No. And it really is off-putting oh, to almost everybody. Yes. I agree. So hope maybe somebody will hear that. I, I doubt like any super religious people listen to this, but <laughs> nah, never mind. Nobody's nah, going to hear that. That's going to matter, too. We're good. We're good. We're good. We're good. Now, on December 29th, 1945, Augusta dies of a cerebral brain hemorrhage. hemorrhage. She was 67 years old, and Ed was 39. And this is the big one for Ed. This is the... This is the heartbreaker. This is the game changer. This is the... It's time for Ed to turn over a new coffin. <laughs> so... Time for Ed to turn over a new wizard. Now, at the wake and the funeral, Ed is crying like a bitch. I know it's his mom, but he's 39 years old. Get your shit together. You know, but they say that he was behaving like a like the way a, a seven or an eight-year-old would. Mm. When they found a baby wizard... Dead. Dying under a porch because yeah. it's freezing to death. Like, he, he is inconsolable. Just suck it up, Ed. August is dead. He's, Ed, Ed's riding solo now. He's finally got a little freedom. He continues doing odd, odd jobs, stays on the farm in the same farmhouse, does odd jobs, and works for the municipal road crew. Now, everybody that works with Ed says that he's a fantastic worker, had great work ethic, but he was quiet and weird. He was a weird guy on the crew, and he was terrified of women, absolutely terrified of women. And when he saw a pretty one, he would kind of look at him and stare at him. And then when they noticed he was staring and looking at him back, he would look away real quick or drop his head to his chest. Very shy, odd, but he's still doing the <laughs> just kind of giggling to himself whenever he thinks of something funny. Doesn't let anybody else in on the joke. And I hate inside jokes. I hate inside jokes so much. I fucking hate it. And it's even worse when the inside joke is only between one person. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like the Inception version of inside joke. It's yeah, that's as inside as it gets. Yeah, it's like origami inside joke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> folded in and folded in and folded in until it loses itself. Now, Ed also leases land to other farmers to make uh, to make an income. Uh, it's also at this time he kind of stops showering, shaving, and taking care of himself. His hygiene goes to shit, goes to absolute shit. He also boards up many rooms in the house, including Augusta's, and those rooms will stay flawless. Augusta was a clean freak, and she liked her house to be absolutely flawless. And that's how this, this these sections of the house will stay. However, the sections that Ed are living in, which is basically the kitchen and a, a bedroom and the summer kitchen. Uh, and the summer kitchen is just essentially a, a kitchen that's used in the summer that's kind of ventilated. It's got screens on the – so that you – because, you know, there's no AC. So it's a place to kind of cook and everything with a breeze. It's weird. So that, and so, it's weird that they would call yeah. it a summer kitchen. And it was used in and a specific season of the year called summer. I wonder if there's a connection there. There is. I would, I would say if you, if I didn't go on a super deep dive into it on, in my research, but I would almost, I would almost bet that there's a correlation. Next time, there's a correlation. Yeah. Next time, let's dig a little deeper. I, I, you know, seems like maybe something that was oversight in this episode, but hopefully we won't get canceled for it. Now, Ed is a pig. He, he, he starts just – he'll eat a can of beans, throw it in the floor. It's basically like he's living at home like you do at Texas Roadhouse when you're eating those peanuts. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> – <laughs> 
or, which they don't do now. I don't know if you've been to Texas Roadhouse recently. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. They don't do that now. You can't just go in and sit down and eat a bunch of peanuts on the ground. Or if you're at Ibiza, go in, sit on the floor and eat a bunch of peanuts. Can't, yeah. Can't yeah. do that. Uh, that, that. And if you're ever in Wilmington, North Carolina, which is where Ibiza is, I say go out there. It's a good time. A lot of fun. Sure is. A lot of fun. So I hear. Best gay bar that I've ever been into. <laughs> I'll say yep. it. So it's also this time that his reading habits change. Uh, he switches to stories about cannibalism, true crime, and Nazi war crimes. Just really anything that he can get. They can they can get into gore and blood and death and, and bodies and torture or whatever. That, that's kind of what his reading habits switch to. So there's kind of this monster growing inside of him, it, it, it seems like. He also becomes a regular at Mary Hogan's Tavern, and he becomes very interested in Mary Hogan. Now, Mary Hogan was a wild woman, the kind of woman that Ed's mother absolutely loathed. She's the pinnacle of evil as far as uh, Augusta would have been concerned. She was she she rumored to have had ties to organized crime. She cursed a lot. She made sexual windows. She talked about dicks and pussy and <laughs> balls and <laughs> just all the she, body she parts all the body parts and just like she just like would make jokes and just like she wouldn't just call like like uh if mary hogan was gonna call somebody somebody a whore she would have she wouldn't just say that that lady sleeps around she'd be like if 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 wilma had as many dicks sticking out of her as she had sticking in her, she looked like a porcupine. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. That's the kind of woman that Mary Hogan was. Do you think she ever, Just, like, um, um, d- uh, made the offer to break Ed in? I wonder. Do I think what? Do you think Do you think Mary Hogan ever made an offer to break Ed in? I think Mary Hogan would have snapped Ed's dick off and fucked him with it. Wow. I think. Dang. This woman sounds like so much fun to hang out with. She was just <laughs> loud and... The kind of woman that you'd see with a big pound of beer singing old Irish, you know, yeah. well, a drunken Scotsman, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> old Scotsman, you know, like, just loud, fun, just a fun woman, just full yeah. of laugh, loud, fun, full of laugh, just just a fun woman to be around. She's like the but person that I always seem to be sitting next to at the baseball game. Like, pick a, pick a beverage. The whole pl- the whole point of having a beverage is to keep it in your cup. But for some reason, yes. I find that people with beer in a cup, no, nah, not so much. The beer is never staying in the cup. It's always spilling out and sloshing. And I was at a game and I got beer pour on me one time and my friend said, You smell like Brad. Who is Brad? <laughs> Apparently he had beer all over him. So, <laughs> I don't know Brad though. Bundy? Might have been her. Uh, so he's 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 a he's a regular at at Mary Hogan's Tavern. He just kind of goes in there, stays sober, and just watches Mary. And he starts fantasizing about what he would look like as a woman around this time too. And and also starts reading into sex change operations. He gets really into sex change operations. So is that what it's called? Nineteen forty-seven. Is that money that is used for prostitution? Is that? Is that what that is that a euphemism for money that's used for sex? Like quarters that were used. Yes. For sex change. Is that what that is? Oh, I should elaborate. Sex change operation is when. So what they do is they, and I, this may not be anatomically correct about what they do. I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But it's when you take a man and make him a woman, or take a woman and make him a man. Now I think the way they make a man a woman is by they take the penis and they just hollow it out. 
I think they hollow it out, mm-hmm. make it just like a tube sock. They take just dig all the meat out of it. Wow. They cut the end off and then dig all the meat out of it, so it's just like a tube sock. And then they turn it inside out and they sew sew it to the back of to their asshole. Wow! And then they've got a tube where things can be inserted. Now, don't 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 quote me on that. I don't know how the procedure actually works. That's just how I was perce- like in my head. That's how I think it happens, and how they turn a, a woman into a man is they do reverse. I believe they just clip. They go in and they clip the the vagina at the back of the tube and they turn it uh, inside out. Whereas they take the man and turn him inside outside in. They turn her inside out and they save the meat from the male surgeries and they just shove that vagina tube full of the cock meat that they took out of penises and that's that's the sex change operation well uh before you started that i was about to tell you fun fact about 1945 quarters uh okay they're worth about six dollars but seems a lot less um Interesting now. Yeah, I would agree. In 1947, Ed gets into visiting cemeteries and later grave robbing. This is when this is when things get really wild. He's still fantasizing about the sex change operations. <laughs> He's reading about cannibalism and true crime and Nazi atrocities, and he starts visiting cemeteries. And then this turns into into grave robbing. Now he starts. Trolling for he wants fresh dead bodies that are mid, middle aged or older. He's kind of searching for women that remind him of his mom. Even though he'll never take his mom's corpse, he does fantasize or not fantasize, but he he does. It, it seems that he he goes after women that look a lot like his mother. Now in the movie Deranged, which was a movie that was based on the Ed Gein story, there there are many movies based on Ed Gein. We'll get into them later, but one of them was Deranged. Uh, and the and the bad guy's name in that is Ezra Cobb, and to make it sound like Ed, they say Ez in the movie. Oh, uh, I see. Ez. So Ez in that movie digs up his mother, and that's not accurate. So uh, Ed never dug up his mother. Okay, but so he's he's scouring the obituaries for fresh bodies that are around his mother's age, and uh, he starts taking the bodies and pieces of bodies home for experiments and. And we'll learn what those experiments were later. But this is around the time he starts grave robbing. Grave robbing. Okay. Um, And and one of the things he does is he makes a a woman's outfit. He makes a woman's outfit out of some of these corpses. He skins it, flays it, and he has tits, tits, and a a vagina. and And he wears those with her also skinned face on him. And he kind of dances around outside at nighttime and does chores around the farm in these boobies and vagina and this in this woman suit that he made and I think he's one of the first I guess he's one of the first trans trans peoples and that's that's stunning and brave transplants I believe that uh, the if well they're vegan I guess if they're vegan it's a transplant Actually, I was making a joke there. I don't think that that he was, uh, maybe he was trans, uh, and this is also a time when that wasn't accepted. So, yeah, uh, uh, Ed, Ed is so one hard. of those that I that I that I, I do have a lot of sympathy for. You know, yeah. it's easy to feel bad for Ed because this guy had a lot of issues. 
Yeah, there was a, a lot, lot of, stacked a lot up against Ed. You know, a lot of uh, life. Life was not defined well for Ed in a normal fashion from the get go. There is something funny about the idea of him wearing these tits, these boobies, and this woman suit, this rotting, decomposing woman suit that he made with the face on and high heels, and he's walking around in this in this house at nighttime doing chores and high heels with his big man calves. Just like, oh, Ed, if you put your clothes away. Just how creepy that image is out there in the middle of Wisconsin on a farm, just in this quiet house that doesn't have any electricity. It's just firelight. And here's Ed in his living room with high heels on and a decomposing woman suit. Like, oh, just doing my chores. Just doing my chores. And and I also like to, I like to in my head, picture him walking around the house doing this to that future rap song. Not not rap song from the future, but by the artist named Future. That uh, Percocet, Molly Percocet, chase a chip, never chase a bitch. Mask on, fuck it, mask off. Mask on, fuck it, mask off. <laughs> you know that song? <laughs> no. You know, speaking of songs, so I I when when we're going through these episodes and when there's a lot of bad words, do you also does do you also like hear hymns in the back of your head, like, like they're trying to push forward, like, like try to push the devil, like when you hit when we're talking, there's a lot of bad words. Do you hear that too? Do you hear hymns? Like, do you hear that in the back of your head? I ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, turn me around, oh turn me around. You get that? Do you get that in your head? What kind of hymns? What is? Oh. Jesus, see once, I guess. I get that. I, you, I was just so wondering. while I'm talking, every time we record, you you just, to keep me as far out of your brain as you can, you just recite hymns in your church, hymns in your head. Keep on the a keep. walking, keep on a talking, <laughs> march of the freedom land. I ain't gonna let nobody <laughs> turn me around. That doesn't happen in your head either? <laughs> no. Oh. I'm thinking, mask on. Fuck it, mask off. Is it right now? It's happening. <laughs> turn me around. Oh, turn me around. And I was just singing the song there. I know that there was a lot of F words there. That's in the song. I was just singing the song. Yeah, so so was I. So he, uh, they, they speculate that, he, that, that Ed wanted to become his mother. He was so heartbroken and everything. I think that there's a lot going on here. I'm not a psychiatrist. This is me speculating. Everybody has their own their own theories. But I think it's a little bit of both. I think he was confused. I think he was trans. And he had that aspect. But there was also the aspect that he missed his mom and he wanted her back. So I think there's a lot more going on here than just it being one or the other. Right? Mm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I'd say there's a whole smorgasbord of things going on here. It's probably hard to put your finger on one thing without getting it really sticky. Also, I have this really funny image in my head of Ed driving in the dark in his old beat-up Chevy truck <laughs> home in the dark from the graveyard. It's kind of quiet. There's this corpse sitting in the seat, this decomposing corpse, just slack-jawed looking out the window when he's got his hands on the steering wheel right. He's on a gravel road. It's kind of bouncing. It's quiet. It's dark. <laughs> And there's a song, and I looked it up. The popular song this year was Francis Craig's Near You. That's the name of the song, Near You. It's kind of playing low right in this old truck. Near you. And he's just got, he has a moment, right? 
he, he's got his hands on the steering wheel. He's looking out over the road. The headlights are passing over the gravel. He has a moment where he's like, let's listen to the radio. And he kind of looks over at this corpse that's just bouncing around, slack-jawed, looking out the window. And then he giggles to himself. He giggles to himself, and he looks out the window, and he goes, this is wild. This is – I'm really a naughty boy. This is – Things. This is odd. I'll be, I'll be the first to admit this. This is odd. <laughs> he hits the speed. He hits a little divot in the road, though, and the woman's face that's on his face kind of shifts downward, <laughs> and so her eye is near yeah. his mouth. And instead of adjusting it, he just like. <laughs> it just made me think of uh, Django Unchained. He's like, see fucking shit out of this thing. <laughs> oh, Ed. So on December 8th, which is my birthday, 1954. You're old. Unfortunately, not in 54. I was born in 86, but December 8th is oh. the day after John Lennon was killed. That's how I knew that fact, by the way. Oh, okay. I didn't pull that out of my ass yeah. in whatever episode that was. Uh, 51-year-old Mary Hogan disappears from her tavern that she managed in Pine Grove, Wisconsin. Unfortunately, that next morning, Seymour Lester walks in to find a pool of blood on the floor. He runs to a close-by acquaintance and calls the sheriff, and it's there that they find, upon further inspection, they find drag marks, drag marks of blood that lead out to the parking lot, and they, find, they also find a spent thirty-two caliber cartridge. No leads were found, and her disappearance wouldn't be solved for many, many years. Hmm. Weird. Now, people would talk about her going missing around Ed, and Ed's favorite joke was they would be talking about it, and Ed would straight up, he would say, she ain't missing. I got her down there at my house. He would say, and they that. would just laugh. What? Really? Yeah, yeah. She ain't missing. I got her down <clears> to my <throat> house. Now the people would just go, <laughs> "Oh, Ed, oh, Ed," and then Ed's like, <laughs> "But he's being totally straightforward you know, when he he's says being that. straight." You know, Ed has to. There has to be a moment where Ed says this. They laugh, and then Ed, Ed goes. These people are all crazy as hell. I keep telling them. And they just lie. I guess it's not a big deal. Where, where the one time in his head he feels like everybody else is off center. Yeah, in Ed's world, these people are all crazy. <laughs> oh, hey, really quick. Speaking of 1954, if you have a 1954 wheat penny that is stamped off center, $100. So the kids all start saying that they saw shrunken heads at his house. In reality... It's just Ed was very Ed was very particular about who he would let into his house. He did let uh, a couple of kids in, ones that he trusted. He became friends with. There was one child, one kid that he uh, that he babysitted, and he would go fishing with him and hunting with him and everything. But he he showed him some shrunken heads. Told the kid that he got them from the big war. That his cousin was in the war in the Philippines, and he sent them over. And that's not how how war trophies at work. That's not no. You cannot, to my knowledge of any war, to my knowledge, you can't bring human body parts home. My great-grandfather brought from World War II home a, uh, a Nazi helmet. It's got mm -hmm. a swastika. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. Nazi helmet. Still got the liner and everything in it. Last I checked, it's, over, it's worth over $4,000. It's in pristine condition. Wow. He got that off a dead Nazi. But that's, that's about as, as good a war trophy as, as you're going to be able to smuggle across so the idea of getting a bunch of shrunken heads, human heads. Yeah. Unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah. Because those heads were attached now, to something else at one point, which would make the acquisition of said head very difficult. Yes. 
Now, it became the house locally became known as a haunted house because people often seen a ghostly woman dancing out in the yard and at night time in the at midnight in the moonlight. I bet they did. Which uh, it's <laughs> ended up just being Ed. It's just, just Ed. Ed. Well, Ed and Wearing someone his else. Boob suit. <laughs> yeah, Ed and his <laughs> Ed and what's left of somebody else. Yeah, Ed and the glove of Joan. <laughs> yeah, he actually had a really nice set of woman gloves. I'll bet. That he made out of actual woman hands. Wow. So, November 16th, 1957, Bernice Warden, who was 58 years old, disappears from Warden's hardware store. She she ran the store. Sweet, loved by the community, Bernice Warden ran the hardware store. Now, Ed had been in the day before while, while Bernice's son, Frank Warden, who was also the deputy sheriff, was there and was asking a lot of weird questions. And Frank was suspicious. The next day, all of the men in the town would be going out for a hunt. It was a hunting season. All the men, Ed, obviously, he, he was known to say that he that blood made him nauseous, and he didn't like killing things, he didn't like hunting. So he would be, but he was asking a lot of questions. What time are you leaving, Frank? You know, you're going to be gone long? Just kind of weirding him out. But he did say, one of the things he did tell Frank was that he would be in the next day when Bernice was there alone to get a gallon of antifreeze. Mm. And, uh, and, and therein he also seals his fate. Because Bernice Warden disappears on November 16th, 1957. Frank Warden comes in from hunting to check on his mother and immediately notices, notices that she's gone. He finds a pool of blood and calls the, calls the rest of the cops in, and it's there that they find a slip for one gallon of antifreeze and a pool of blood in the floor. So Frank is immediately says, Ed, Ed, did, Ed did something to her. Ed did something to her, and it's... I think it's at this point we're going to let Jack uh, let's let Jack come in and kind of kind of reenact what what happened between Ed and Bernice. Yep. Whenever there's a receipt for a pool of blood, I like let's let Jack take over. Here we go. It's all a blur. Ed Gein claims he can barely remember much other than the gun going off in the store. He'd been loading it when it must have fired. Whoops, down goes Mrs. Bernice Warden, bullet rattling around her skull until it slows to rest behind a glassy eye. Ed's not much of a talker, much of a ladies' man in the land of the living, but and the company of the dead, he comes to life. In a flash, he is back at the farm, the time between passing impulses, disconnected moments full of disconnected conversations between Ed and the dead, his breath fogging the windshield on this cold, colorless November day, colorless save the blood spatters that decorate his stubble and bring out the deeply haunted, desperately lost look in Ed Gein's eyes. Everybody knows everybody's business in Plainfield, and Mother would agree that this woman is no angel, this corpse that he drags from the trunk as gunfire pops in the distance, through the trees and the fog. It's hunting season, and he's finished early. One tag, one bag, that's... Get her dressed, Eddie. Once she's up, she looks magnificent. Stunning, perfectly macabre, 
stretched out like a canvas that is its own art. They'll find her like this, headless, eviscerated, naked, upside down like Harry Houdini, Achilles stuffed with wooden crossbar, body taut between the hemp ropes that the hands seem to grip an assistant, cavities glistening, skin somehow supple and waxy at once, following desanguination, the draining process. Her son, a town deputy, will be one of the first to behold this horror, a horror that to Ed Gein had become hobby. From the autopsy of Bernice Warden. The body was that of an over-middle-aged, allegedly 58-year-old woman, well-shaped and in a good state of nutrition. It had been decapitated at shoulder level by a smooth circular cut which severed skin. All the soft structures and the inner vertebral cartilage between the 6th and 7th cervical vertebrae had been cut with a sharp instrument. There was no evidence of jagged edges indicating that no axe or similar implement had been used. The body had been opened by a median incision from the manubium sterni and extending in the midline to the area just above the mons veneris. Here the cut circled around the external genitalia for the complete removal of the vulva, lower vagina, and the anus with the lowest portion of the rectum. To accomplish this, the symphysis pubis had been split and the pubic bones widely separated. From the appearance of the cut for evisceration, it was concluded that the cut was started from the lower end and terminated above the stomach pit. The reason for this was the somewhat jagged appearance of the cut skin near the chest indicating hesitation in terminating the knife cut. The vulva and adjoining structures that had been removed were presented in a carton box together with preserved and dried other specimens of the same type. The freshly removed vulva fitted well into the tissue defect of the body. Only few pubic hairs had remained on both sides of the removed organs and a portion of this hairy skin was removed for purpose of identification. Examination of the outer genitalia revealed no evidence of trauma and no conclusion could be reached whether or not sexual intercourse had taken place. And we are back. Now, Jack just went went through it. Went through the uh, went through the ringer there with Ed and Bernice. As he said, Ed shows up the crime scene, which wasn't the crime scene at the time. Right. The future crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> Kills Bernice, brings her back to his to his house, and and strings her up, strings her up like a deer. Unfortunately, he he guts her like a deer. Do you know how to clean a deer up? Sure do. Yeah, yeah. Both so you know the field dressing and then and then cleaning it when you get home. Yeah, I, I, most of the time when I hunt, I use the gutless method, which is basically you're not quartering the animal and carrying out all its bones. You're you're taking all of the, you know, what's what's good internals. Yeah, so you don't have to. You, you're yeah. not you. Where I live, at least, you can leave a carcass in the wilderness, but there are certain elements of the of the carcass you have to take or the the kill. You know what's really amazing is how little is holding all your intestines in. It's basically oh, the man. butthole tube, the esophagus, and the lung lining, and everything totally. will just fall out. Yes, not That's only it. that. Like, That's it. It's amazing. Uh, like when you go deer hunting, for example, if you if you're quartering a deer. You find that there is literally nothing, no bone connecting the sh- front shoulders to their legs. 
it's all muscle yeah. and sinew. Nothing's connecting. These these amazing that the the way that bodies are built is crazy. To think the amount of trial and you just error. always when you think about your intestines, you think that there's more holding your guts in, but Ugh. it's really your throat, your asshole, and the diaphragm of your lungs. Yeah. That's all that's holding it, your your everything from falling out. Yep. And you know they they talk about like sucking chest wounds and stuff like that, or oh he has air yes. in his in his. Uh, the the reason that everything kind of stays in place is because inside of your body it's a vacuum. Inside of your body, there's not like air floating around and stuff. Actually, air gets no. in and suddenly you won't breathe anymore. You know, it's like, it's crazy that, you know, like you're saying, it's like all Ziploc vacuum packed in there and, and like, it's all clean too. There's like not blood floating around inside of your body. It's, you know, everything is really watertight. I guess that's good. So Ed, Ed Strings, Ed, Ed Strings, Bernice Warden up, he guts her. Now, this isn't – we're not talking about field dressing here. He didn't field dress her there at the hardware store. No. He strings her up. He, he he takes a pole, sharpens it at both ends, and then runs it through her Achilles heel on both sides, pulls her up so so her legs are spread out wide open, right? Mm. And then her her, her arms are, are pulled up at each side by, by, by cord. So she's hanging upside down. He then decapitates her and guts her like a deer. There's lots of pictures. This is probably of the crime scene. This is the most – this is what they took the most pictures of. I got to say, Bernice Warden, for a 58-year-old, looks like she was in great shape. Like, if you didn't know, and they are grainy black and white photos, but it looks like a like a 23, 24-year-old hanging there. Uh, the, the years were really good to her. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, other than the fact that she's sliced and Doesn't diced. have a head. Yeah, and the whole, the whole yeah. half. And know, also, well, I would say being middle. upside down has helped with what gravity has done over the 58 years, too. Right. That's pretty rough. And also... It, at the time, uh, around the, the time that Bernice is being discovered, um, Ed is eating lunch at his cousin's house, and his one of his cousins comes in and says, "There's a commotion down at uh, down at the hardware store," and they decide they want to go check out the commotion. So they go up there, and that's when Ed is that's when Ed is is yoked up. He shows up at the crime scene. Mm. It is determined that that she had been shot with a 22 caliber rifle. Bernice Warden had. That's when they gain, they make entrance to the house, and that's when they find the Ed Gein House of Horrors. Let's go over some of the things they found. You want to, Walt? Yes. So, obviously, there was just scattered across the house whole human bones and, and bone fragments. There was a, a waste basket made of human skin. So that's fun. Mm-hmm. There was a human skin covering several chair seats. But uh, what is important to note is that he had been very... Lazy with how he had he had fastened these chair seats, so there was big chunks of yellow fat rotting still on the bottom of the inside of the cushion. Oh, jeez! So they had to smell awful, right? There were skulls on each of his four bedposts. So this is almost this kind of reminds me this some aspects of this almost remind me of Jeffrey Dahmer and his fantasy of having a shrine of human bones to him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost what this puts me in the mind of. There were many female skulls, some of which had the top sawn off. There were there were bowls made from human skulls. There was a corset, like I said before, that he would use to dance around in that had the boobies and the, the vagine still attached to it. There were leggings made from human skin. So, so Ed Gein was rocking those ass form-fitting leggings before it was cool, before college campuses were doing it. Um, he really put the so leg really in the leggings. 
kind of a pioneer. Yeah, if you yeah. think about it. Uh, there were masks, obviously, made from skin of female heads. Mary Hogan's face was found in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's, Mary Hogan's skull was found in a box, so they, they were able to solve that old case, which at this point I believe was a couple years old. Bernice Warden's entire head was found in a burlap sack, and it had a nail driven in each ear, and each nail had a sh- had was attached to one piece of string so that it could be hung like a picture. Wow. So Jeez. Ed Gein was like kind of doing Warden's- the Etsy uh, body body version before Etsy was really, you know. Yes, he was very into arts and crafts. He was like a macabre Bob Ross. Yeah. Ed Gein was. Yeah. Like Martha Stewart, a Martha Stewart from hell. That That's Ed Gein. Macabre Ross. Yeah. Macabre Ross. <laughs> yes. Crazy. That needs to be on a t-shirt. That, Ed Gein. That's a good one. Yeah, just a happy. Ed Gein. Ed Gein's head on Bob Ross's body painting. Happy skulls. Macabre Ross. Happy skulls. Yeah. We're just going to put an areola over they here. They found. And, okay. Oh, that's a happy areola. That right there is little pink. <laughs> I like and to say do it. every, every areola, and there's no mistakes in areolas. They're all, they're all beautiful. Now I'm going to use my fan brush here, and we're going to add some some veins. And then we're I'm going to use my Sierra, my Sierra Brown. <laughs> and then we're just going to take the brush and we're going to beat the dickens out of it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Benice Warden's heart was found in a plastic bag in front of Gein's potbelly stove. Now this is where the rumors start about cannibalism. Ed, Ed Gein, the cannibal, and and we should put that to rest right now. For the for the literal tens of twelves of listeners that are listening, that 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 is that is not the case. It's it's uh, Ed Gein was not a cannibal. There is no proof that Ed Gein was a cannibal. Mm. Okay, and and all that stems from just the fact that a heart was found near the stove. That's where. But he was basically living in the kitchen. Yes. So everything he had was near the stove. Now they also found nine vulvas in a box. And a shoebox, I think the, the plural form of vulvas is vulvae. So they found non-vulvae, which is uh, the, the exterior components of the female vagina. The non-vulvae, the vulvas, they were found in a shoebox. And I don't know how you remove a vagina. I don't know. I guess like a sharpened ice cream scooper. Yeah, I'm not sure. I know there are some podcasts that got canceled for for talking about it. Did they really? <laughs> Mike. Which one was it? Uh, so, well, Sword and Scale. That was the whole thing that happened there. He started... I didn't know this. He started, I, I wasn't aware of yeah, this. He started talking about somebody else talking about it, and he got kicked off of stuff. Hey, I'm so thankful that we have set the bar so low <laughs> here that, that I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> He's already taken the hit for that one. Well, you know, I guess at some point, I, I'm i sure he was sitting there. He's like, man, now I've got nine, nine Volvos. I guess I should probably put them in a box. At some point, you got to package them up, I would think. Now, this is also, fun fact, this is also where the term, where the, the cross term for vagina and box Come oh, from. really? Okay. No, I just made oh, that up. They no. also found a young girl's. Uh, <laughs> I did just make that up. I don't want that out there. Yeah, I don't want no. that. Story. <laughs> they found a young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females 
that were judged to have been about 15 years old. Uh, they also found a belt made from female human nipples. That's right. You heard me correctly. A belt made from nipples. That's a lot of sewing. That is. There were four noses in a box, uh, a pair of lips on a window shade drawstring, a lampshade made from the skin of a human face, and uh, various fingernails from female fingers. So what's, that's that's some of the goodies that they found in the in the House of Horrors, Ed Gein's House of Horrors. What's interesting, I find, is that I I technically was right before when you're like, what did what hobby did Ed Gein pick up? And I said seamstress because there's a lot, like you said, there's a lot of sewing here. I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of sewing. Yes. Wow. Yes. If his if his energy would have been put elsewhere. This could have been a very uh, prolific man in a completely different way. Yeah, right. Yeah, he could have totally. He could have been a great what's a taxidermist. Yes. Now, obviously, Ed, th- this is pretty damning evidence. <laughs> All that stuff found in his house. It's kind of talk your way out of it. <laughs> now, look, the Volve ain't mine. I'll... <laughs> you ain't gonna pin the Volve on me. I found that box. Full of boxes. Ed is obviously arrested. That night, he's assaulted by Sheriff Art Sheely for not confessing, so Ed gets the shit kicked out of him for a little bit. Ed doesn't talk for two days, and this is where we come to a very a, a, a funny part of the story, in my opinion, the grossest part of the story, and that is uh, Ed doesn't talk until he gets a, uh, a piece of apple pie with cheddar cheese melted on top. Now, Jack Luna, who who is fantastic at research, did stumble. Every podcast that has done, Ed Gein has 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 tried to insinuate, or, or they did, I don't even think they did it on purpose. It's kind of become common knowledge about the Ed Gein case that Ed requests a piece of apple pie with cheddar cheese on top of it before he'll talk. And turns out that was not the case. That wasn't the case at all. Uh, Jack was able to get transcripts of the interviews and interrogation that followed that night. And one part, we're not going to be reenacting that part in particular here in just a moment, but it turns out that that the cop is the one that brought up the idea of pie and gave Ed a few choices, and Ed was like, oh, take a piece of apple if you, if you got it. Ed was kind of nonchalant about the whole thing. If you got it, he doesn't really give a fuck. Whatever you got, if you ain't got nothing, he's ready to talk. So Ed... Whether or not Ed got the pie was of no concern to him. And on top of that, it wasn't Ed's idea to put the cheese on the pie. That was the cop's idea. So that's that's a little bit of new information maybe that, that nobody's heard about this case because this is a part of the story that, that every every podcast really elaborates on is how Ed won't talk until he gets this pie that he's requested. And that simply wasn't the case. Yeah. Well, it seems – the way you put it and the way that it's been researched by our crack team here at True Crime Kent makes more sense. You know, it, it, suddenly Ed Gein is like a master negotiator. No, didn't think so. No. No, this is a very simple, weird, quiet, shy man. Yeah. Weird little man. Makes sense. Now, I also wanted – I had never heard of, of cheddar cheese on apple pie. Had you ever heard of that up? No, heavens no. So I looked into it, and I and I had to dig, do a little history, and, and it turns out it's not that uncommon. So apple pie with cheddar cheese started in England in the 17th century, but instead of cheese at that time, they just used some kind of, some form of dairy-based sauce 
But uh, after after the European settlers migrated uh, immigrated to the United States, the sauce was then substituted with some some form of sharp cheddar cheese, and it's now kind of and that's where the his it, it was brought over by European settlers, and now it's kind of concentrated in the American Midwest and New England, and still to this day, people eat it. Pretty, it's not uncommon to eat uh, to eat cheese cheddar sharp cheddar cheese on apple pie up there. It's just not as weird as I initially thought it was. And that being said. I've never eaten it. You've never eaten it, to my knowledge, have you all? No, no, I have not. What we have here, folks, I have a piece of apple pie with cheddar cheese melted on top of it. And, Op, you've got a piece there. Let me see yours. Well, yeah, see, I didn't um, have an apple pie, so I had the corner left of an apple strudel. So I put cheese on that, and then I thought to make up for it, I also have some frozen cream puffs with cheese on top of them. So, well, I've got a legitimate piece of apple pie. Looks delicious. With cheddar cheese melted on top. That's gross. And me and Op are for the first time on this recording gonna try this this meal that Ed had. This treat that it had before he started singing like a like a bird. Okay, are we eating so this on the now? Count of three up. I'm gonna get a bite. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get a bite here. Okay. Let's see here. Golf. That does not look appetizing. No, it doesn't. And it's also important to note you'll hear in a minute when we start reenacting these transcripts that the the pie that that Ed had the cheese was old and dried up. So. Which, it's actually good that we let it sit here beside us while we record this until now. Yeah, I was going to say this. Because this is more closely. Yeah, this cheese has been sitting here for almost two hours. Okay. Yeah. Mine too. <laughs> it's starting to turn clear. Yeah. You know how cheese starts turning clear after it's been. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. You ready? Yeah, one. One, two, two three. Three. Hmm. Okay. Has an interesting top note. Mm. Well, <laughs> hmm, it's not bad. It's not. It's not terrible. Um, you, I've had worse. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it to me, it it feels like it's not a natural combination. Um, also, no. the cream puff and cheese, don't go there. Don't do that. It, that well, that just about made oh, me gag. Don't do that. Oof. But, I mean, overall, I would give it a... If it was fresh, I would probably order that. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I would say if it wasn't two hour, a two-hour wait, I could definitely... Yeah. It's an interesting combination. And I will take a picture of this pie that I just took a bite out of, and I will post it in conjunction with this episode being released on the True Crime Kent Facebook page, Twitter page, and Instagram page so that we can prove that that we did this. And you do the same as well. Yeah, I'll do the same. Okay. Now, so we got that out of the way. We've covered the history of cheddar cheese on apple pie. We've tried it ourselves. Not that bad. Not that bad at all. And we've laid to rest some of the rumors about Ed Gein refusing to speak after the... uh, but until he gets his pie, which was a lie. So now what we're going to do, me and the op, we're going to reenact some of these transcripts word for word. These haven't been – these we haven't added anything to them. These are word for word transcripts from the night that he was interrogated, the night he was arrested. 
and I'm going to be playing the role of the officer, the interrogation officer, and uh, and Op is going to be playing Edward Gein. Are you ready, Op? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, let's do this. Here we go. Now, uh, now, Ed, as, as I recall it, you explained to Urban myself that, uh, that there weren't too many that you returned to the grave, were there? Uh, yes. Now, uh, Ed, how many do you, uh, do you estimate that you returned? Oh, let's see, uh, gosh, uh, there must have been, let, let's see, there was, yeah, I see some, some of them were, were left right there, you know, not taken away. Now, as I recall, Ed, you, you told me that you removed some sections of the flesh. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. And what sections of the flesh did you remove in those instances? Oh, the head. The head, huh? How about the vagina? Well, uh, yeah, oh, that, but not always. In removing the head, did you first cut through and then snap the bone? Or how would you separate it from the spinal column? Oh, I guess, uh, yeah, it would be snapping, uh, whatever you call it. Snapping, breaking the bone? Yeah, I suppose. Now, Ed, by your recollection, you would cut until the motion of the knife was stopped by the bone. Is that it? And then, uh, and then what would you do? Would work the head back and forth in the same fashion as... You would when you attempt to break a piece of wire in two. Now, I mean, I I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, by your recollection. Oh, that's a that's a good description of it. Yeah. Do you recall any instances, Ed, where at the cemetery you might have sawed the bone? No, no, never, never took any saw. Never any saw. No. Was it that knife that you made out of that file that you told us about? No, no, not at all. You, you see... Why don't you go ahead there and eat your pie? That looks... That cheese looks as though it's it's seen better days. You have to go out of state now, out of state of Wisconsin to get good cheese. Gosh, ain't that queer. Well, you know, it's like the oranges out of California and Florida. They leave all the calls <laughs> for the natives there and ship all the best ones out. That's true. Yeah, it's slightly curled, isn't it? Slightly. Now, if you don't want to eat it, don't, Ed. You won't hurt my feelings. Say, uh, did you all have much snow up your way? Oh, no, no, not a great deal. It was warm enough that, uh, kind of kept melting. How was that pie? Any good? Yeah, real, yeah, real good. It is, huh? Even when the cheese is all dried out there, it adds a little different flavor to the pie. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Eggs? No, no, just a piece of bacon... Some oatmeal and a slice of bread. What did you eat before you came here to Madison? Didn't you say you stopped off at some restaurant? Yeah, that's right. Had a piece of pie, a hamburger, and a cup of coffee, and a bowl of chili. Did you do any... Did you ever... Did you ever have any warm meals when you were at home, Ed? Oh, yeah. Yeah, most of them. I make tea and stuff like that, you know. Well, how about solid foods? Yeah, yeah, I'd warm that. Like a can of beans or spaghetti? On my cereals, I'd warm the milk, and I like that. Some like them real crispy and everything. What was your favorite cereal? Well, I'd change. Would you buy those assorted boxes? Yeah, that's right. 
that or three of large ones. For laxative, for a change, I'd get bran flakes. I'd, I'd make changes. Did you eat much fresh meat, Ed? Or was it mostly sandwiches? Yes, yeah. I'd, I'd buy a loaf of meat and stuff. You didn't have an ice house, did you? No. Now, do you recall how much money you had at home? Some money has been found, but I just want to make sure all of it has been found since the place is going to be unattended. We want to make sure that in the event someone should have the thought of breaking, I, I don't think they'd want the junk you got there, but they might be on the lookout for money. No, not most of that... Most valuable parts were taken or stolen anyway ahead of time, so there there isn't too much. There might be some old dishes, antiques, or yeah, something like that. Were those your mother's dishes? Yeah, that's right. Well, Eddie, how much money do you figure should be up there at the house? Well, like I uh, like I told the sheriff and everything, but whatever was in my cupboard, I, I don't know. They they probably found it. Either in the cupboard or the dresser, I forget. Yeah, there was a baking powder uh, can where I put change in. I don't know, but this was... I'll tell you that money has been found in excess of $20, Ed. It's more than $20. I was just wondering if you know the exact amount or close to it. Well, no, I couldn't say exactly. Uh, You see, I I kept adding change to that, and I would judge that it was should be two-thirds full. Well, the sheriff has the money. It was turned over to him. There was some $1 bills in a billfold. I I don't know if they'd be found or not. I don't know, Ed. I'll check, though. Were were there many in it? Gosh, I could say just... I couldn't say just exactly and and tell you you where it is. So if they have it, you you know, there's an old record cabinet, and I slipped it in there. Uh, That's stuff on top. You should be sure to tell the sheriff so that he can have his men check to see whether or not it's been found, Ed. I, I told him about it. I forgot to tell him this just until just now when you mentioned it. Now, when you used to go shopping for food, and even though you felt that you couldn't afford it, what was usually the thing you wanted the most that you ordinarily would splurge on in the line of food? Oh, mostly fruits and uh, fruit juices and uh, stuff like that. Things like celery and stuff like that. Insane. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Op. Well done. So, oh, great. So you can see how deep that interrogation went. We're, I think we're dealing with an amateur here. <laughs> yeah. Do you get much snow up your way, Ed? <laughs> I, I was expecting him to be like, you know, covering the fact that there were like thousands of dollars. That conversation about the change went on forever just for like a can full of 20 bucks. Why was he so worried about the money? <laughs> <It's> weird, though. <laughs> Now, uh, further on in this interview, he says, Ed says he would visit the graveyard in a daze. I mean, he, he would kind of come in and out of a daze, and sometimes he would snap out of the daze early and just go home without digging anybody up, and sometimes he wouldn't. But uh, on November 21st, 1957, Ed Gein is deemed not guilty of murder by reason of insanity. And he goes, he goes into, a, into the psych ward. On March 27th, 1958, just three days before it was deemed to be auction off, Ed Gein's House of Horrors burns down. Really? It was a local case of arson. They suspect, they suspect that the, the locals, they just didn't want that kind of image yeah. to be there. Somebody was going to buy, buy it, turn it into a, a, you know, a macabre kind of 
attraction. Mm-hmm. When Ed was told about this, his house, his childhood home burning down, all he said, he shrugs his shoulders and says, just as well, whatever that means. <laughs> Now, in 1958, Ed, Ed Gein's car is sold to a fellow named Bunny Gibbons for $760, which comes out to $6,915 today at a public auction. He uses it at carnivals and charges $0.25 cents to see, quote, Ed Gein's ghoul car. And uh, I started thinking about this. I was listening to a podcast of another another group of people that were doing an episode on this, and they really wanted to, they really wanted to let everybody know how disgusted they were with the fact that that somebody would do this, and it made me giggle to myself up because here's the thing: any true crime podcaster, any true crime podcaster, even the most virtue signally of virtue signalers, we are the modern day Bunny Gibbonses. That's that's what we are. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're. Uh, we're I don't all care how how holier cents. than now and how how high you you want your your. Your uh, morals to seem when you're being record when you're recording yourself. You are a Bunny Gibbons. I am a Bunny Gibbons. Up. You are a Bunny Gibbons. Jack Luna's a Bunny Gibbons. We are all Bunny Gibbonses. Yep. We are the 2020 Bunny Gibbonses. <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. I hate to say it, but it's true. Now, uh, Ed Gein was a model patient for the rest of his life in the mental institution, um, and there was a young lady actually on our Facebook that. That responded. I can't remember her name, but she'll probably know when she hears this. Said that uh, one of her family members was a uh, worked worked with Ed Gein in the uh, psych ward. He was one of the one of the employees there, and said that Ed was the most pleasant, polite, well mannered person that uh, patient that he could have possibly been around. And that's and she said that. And in, in all my research, that's what I have. Um, that's what I have found. That that ever how everybody felt he was just a, a model patient. Oh yeah, that was Whitney Pulsine. Oh, uh, Whitney, Whitney, yeah, that's right, yep. that's right. Yeah, yeah her, one of her family members I can't remember word for word uh, worked with Ed Gein at the uh, Mendota Mental Health Institution in Madison, Wisconsin, and said that he was just one of the most polite, pleasant uh, patients that that he had ever been around. Yeah, her uncle. And by my research, yeah, her uncle. Her uncle used to be a guard in the hospital. Yeah, and in my research, that's that's time and time again. That's what people that worked with him said. Yeah. So Ed Gein dies July twenty sixth, nineteen eighty four, of lung cancer at the Mendota Mental Health Institute in Madison, Wisconsin, at seventy seven years old. He is laid to rest between his mother and his brother Henry, who he possibly murdered, but we don't know for sure. Yeah, we don't uh, know for sure. <laughs> for a long time, people people were chipping off chunks of Ed's. Ed's grave as his tombstone, and then uh, at some point in the '90s, it was stolen completely. And in the early 2000s, it actually popped up in Seattle. A fellow was doing a fellow in Seattle had it and and had been doing rubbings of it and selling them on eBay. Oh, really? Ah, uh, yes. I wonder was he calling it the Ed Gein Ghoul Headstone? <laughs> Here's the thing: How stupid do you have to be? Like <laughs> really seriously, it's like it's like you know disappearing the president of the United States, and then like anybody want a rubbing of his face? <laughs> okay, maybe not exactly the same. How did you catch me? You guys are good. <laughs> Would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for these stupid kids, meddling kids, meddling kids. Arr. Fucking Andy. So um, you know, a few closing notes here on the Ed Gein story. 
Ed, uh, he, he didn't have sex with him. This, he wasn't a necrophiliac, uh, to, our, to our knowledge. Ed refused uh, any sexual. He, he, this didn't turn him on. It, it, was, it wasn't sexual to him. And when asked if he had sex with them, he said, uh, no, they smelled too bad, which makes me giggle to myself because he must have – he said that and probably just kind of looked at the ground like these – these guys are fucking weirdos. <laughs> First they're wondering about my $20, and, and now they're asking me if I had sex with dead people. <laughs> I think I am some kind of freak. <laughs> they smelled too bad. Obviously, Plainfield was very upset with, with Ed Gein's atrocities that he committed. He had been wearing their deceased loved ones around like a like an Easter dress for, for many years. <laughs> yes. That would frustrate me, and and that would that would that would that, that's understandable. Yeah, my daddy's that would agitate me. My mom is not pants. You're right; she's leggings. <laughs> you know the and it probably infuriating the infuriated them even more because Ed, up until the day he died, was very what is the big deal about the whole thing. Very Seinfeld. Wow. What's the deal? Why is everybody so mad? Well, okay. To to his to his credit here, there are many times in US history, in European history, where in the name of science and probably not just science, graves were robbed for cadavers, for study. I mean, graves have been robbed forever for, for monetary gain, you know. Just one yes. guy in a little yes. weird town, you know, decided to, uh, you know, wear them as face masks. Bump, bump. Leggings. Leggings. Yeah. Um, and everybody's mad. <laughs> you wear one lady as a face mask and the whole town thinks you're a weirdo. Now, it was suspected that Ed was involved in several other unsolved cases of disappearance uh, around the area. A young Georgia Reckler who was eight, Weckler, who was eight years old, Eveline Hartley, who was 15, Victor Travis, who was 43, and Ray Burgess. I, I, didn't, I couldn't find his age, but Victor Travis and Ray Burgess were together. They were hunters that went and disappeared while hunting one day. It just doesn't seem, with the exception of Evelyn Hartley, who was 15. Now, they did say they found the genitals of uh, a young lady that was around 15 years old, maybe. But th- this just doesn't s- feel like Ed Gein to me. Does it you? Like these... No, I think it was... Uh, I would like to believe that it was an outlier that he killed the shop owner. You know, that it was... Uh, he's not a strong man. He's not a... He's Well, I guess no, actually... he was a weak... Yeah, I think weak-minded. He probably was pretty strong. Strong, you know. He was had good work ethic, and you know, could definitely do some damage working when asked. So he probably wasn't weakly. If you do, if you look at pictures of him, he has very large hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah the, almost like gorilla hands. He reminds me a bit of my great grandfather, who used to brag. He'd come over and be like, "Watch this," and then he'd grab like a splitting mall like you'd split wood with and he'd hold it by the end and he would hold it out oh yeah b- and bring it down to his face by the end of his ha- by the end of the handle he just like was so yeah, strong just wrists of you know kevlar so it kind of reminds me of that so i could see him doing it but i don't know mentally i don't know mentally where this guy's at anyway but it just yeah, it doesn't. I don't think he even knew. Yeah. Nobody ever knew. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, Ed Ed inspired a lot of modern horror villains 
like Leatherface, Buffalo Bill, and Hannibal Lecter, but they're all very, very loosely based on Ed Gein. Leatherface, obviously, for wearing a face made from a dead body. Um, Buffalo Bill, for the same reason. And Hannibal Lecter, well, Ed wasn't even a cannibal, but he inspired. There were so many rumors about it for a long time that he inspired the... uh, the character of Hannibal Lecter. So without Ed, we wouldn't have a lot of these iconic horror villains. That's three big ones. That, That's, those are big ones. Those are thousand-pound gorillas for sure. Yeah. Yeah, those are big American horror villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it, Op. That is the story of the the most uh, famous not-serial killer in true crime, I would say. Yeah, it's crazy, too. Yeah, he's right up there. I mean, he's he's uh, top ten in anybody's mind. He's top five when you ask people to rattle, rattle off last names of killers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, you know, we came, we saw, we ate pie, and this was fun, and all good things must come to an end, and, and that's it, Up. That's it. Well, all right. I hope you, hope you do some uh, good research for the next one, which will be tomorrow, because that's what I'm going to be calling you. Tomorrow? Tomorrow? You're calling me tomorrow? Yeah, you better start now. Okay, okay, whatever. All right. Hugs. What? What? What?